far too long. Welcome to the Talking to Ourselves podcast. I'm Omid Farhang, founder at Majority, back with a new production partner, my friends at Beacon Street Studios. A new track from legendary Brooklyn rapper Crown, who I highly recommend you go check out. And some exciting news that we'll be revamping the format of Talking to Ourselves in 2023. Trying some new things that I think you're really going to like, so please watch this space. But before that, we do our last episode of the year. It's a good one. Pancho Cassis, Global Chief Creative Officer and Partner at David. Winner of 112 Can Lions, four Grand Prix, one Titanium, a black pencil at DNAD, and a pile more of awards that are too long to list. Under Pancho's leadership, David has been named International Agency of the Year by Ad Age and Agency of the Year by Clio, One Show, DNAD, and so on and so forth. These recognitions were the result of consistently excellent creative work since Pancho showed up at David in 2019. Anchored, of course, by Burger King's Moldy Whopper campaign, one of the bravest and most iconic campaigns of all time by any standard. This is Pancho Cassis and I talking to ourselves. Are you in Madrid? Yes, I'm in Madrid this week. So every time I'm in Madrid, you know, the agenda is packed because also I have my kids. So today we're like, okay, my you, kid you went split to your, mother's house. You split your time between Madrid and Miami? Honestly, Miami, not that much lately because, and again, this is an interesting subject in the industry, but talent, man. People are not wanting to, do not want to come back to the office fully. So I went a couple of times and honestly, I was connected to a Zoom call in the hotel, which made no sense, right? Uh, and that's why I've been going less and less and we opened New York. So I'm kind of, uh, Bogota is a, a new office that grew very fast. And with a lot of big clients, they just want the two biggest beer brands from ABI there. So I'm going uh, to different offices right now. So Bogota, Madrid, a little bit of Miami. Is there a place you call home? No, Madrid, for sure. I'm, I'm divorced, so my kid is here. That's why I need to come back every week. That's why my back is so hurt. Uh, even when my friends said, no, but you travel in business. Yeah, fuck business. It's, not, it's terrible. <laughs> You have like 8 but, million frequent flyer miles. Incredible. You cannot believe. I've, I've brought my mom and my sister twice in business without paying a penny, which is nice, but uh, also it's good to be home So for a little bit. But now I'm going to Chile because I'm actually from Chile. Yeah, this is actually so, where we start. Pancho, where, where are you from and what did your parents do? I'm from Chile. Originally, I was born in Bogota because my parents lived there. Um, then I was baptized in Puerto Rico. Then I lived for like uh, 10 months in the U.S., in Delano, California, uh, because my parents were moving around. And then they went back to Chile. And I was there until I was 22. That was when I got the opportunity to, to win the Young Guns. Uh, festival that was in Australia that was kind of the first festival for students and young creatives and the prize was uh, some you know training in any agency around the world 
in that moment, uh, Leo Burnett in Oslo and in Madrid was were and in London were like three super sexy agencies doing good work for for McDonald's and for many other big brands. And I finally chose Madrid, and that's when oh, my story flips. And I've been here for eighteen years. Did your and were your parents parent, were your parents in a creative field? Yes, my mom is a mom probably the best uh, mom ever, but my dad uh, was in advertising. And the funny thing is that he started very late because he had a rock band. Uh, he didn't need it to work. Uh, but then my grandfather had problems with the business and he had to study. And he chose the easiest thing in the <laughs> in the uh, within the possibilities of what advertising at the time, and he became copywriter, and then you know he was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time. So he went from copywriter to creative director, ECD CCO, and when he was CCO, the general manager, the CEO left, and 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 because my dad was doing it a good job uh, the people from from the agency said you know what you uh, do a fast speed course on on math and, and and a couple more things and you become the ceo and then he was ceo and president of of leo burnett actually in chile so for me it was a always a, a a great inspiration and a you know a place where i could go and ask for insights right from the copywriting insights to then you know how to lead the team how to win the hearts of clients how to become relevant for a client and, and for an agency and then you know managing resigning from from lola my former agency to open a new one and then it's like it's been great right did your dad have a a leadership philosophy or a saying that you feel like kind of stays with you or that you you kind of go back to when when times get tough he has a lot honestly i have a whole note uh on my phone so i can always remember but but he had a lot and and the the good thing was that he had from you know being a junior copywriter from chile in colombia to you know being president of the company and having other issues right but but i don't know always remembering who pays your salary has been a really uh really good advice uh throughout my career because uh i was lucky i was lucky when i started i started as a trainee and in the first year i did a student work which won the young guns but also one of my first campaigns in in gray where i was doing an internship one golden can so i was like ah is this real and my dad was always no award shows don't pay your salary can is not paying your salary uh remember who pays your salary that is uh, clients um, and the day-to-day -day work and the fact that their business do well so in that kind of great balance i've been living and, and growing right well you say that but you, you, i do have to say most people i interview they tell their parents they want a can lion and their parents say cool what the fuck is that is that important and for you you actually are in the unique circumstance where you can show your father all of these awards you won and he understands how difficult it is to accomplish 
Totally, because yeah, that's the that's the cliche of a story, right? Telling your dad, your parents, what you do, and they don't understand. Having to explain what an award is, and I was on the opposite side. Uh, my dad actually was the first uh, jury from Chile to be in Cannes, and I remember he went in 1994. So it was only film and print. And, you know, he got a tuxedo because in that time, you know, going to the to the galas was like a yeah. big thing. My mom went to a tailor to do a dress. It was another thing, right? And and then, yeah, he always understood. And, and I think that neither him or I thought that the beginning was going to be so explosive, right? Because actually I went to Cannes on my first year. I was the only one from the agency there, so I was able to receive my first gold lion, but it was because of a stupid bet, because I started doing an internship, and my dad said, if you win an award, and we were thinking about the award in Chile, and probably FIAP, which was like a big regional award in Buenos Aires, if you win an award, I will take you, I will buy the ticket, it's a bet. And suddenly the first year was... Buenos Aires, then we went to Cannes, and it was always this, and my dad was like, fuck, I should have never said this, because it's, it's becoming uh, expensive to pay the bet, right? Uh, but he enjoyed it, and, and it was a, a fun first year. Winning Young Guns, it sounds like, kind of opened the door um, for your first job. Where was your first job? And, and if you would be so kind, how might a, a colleague describe a young Pancho Cassis in his first month as a professional <laughs> copywriter? My first internship actually was in an agency called Darcy that then was, you know, bought by publicists and then it ended up disappearing. That was in my first year of school. So I was 20. Uh, it was just a month. And the next year I said, you know what? Fine, I'm going to do another one. And then I, I, I did my internship in gray and that was i think the 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 place where i finally found you know uh a great uh team a couple of uh you know my i was the i was the intern of a copywriter and a director that changed my life because they were really good people no egos and and they were super open to tell me everything they were doing uh and invite me in so i was able to touch you know, like we say in Spanish, touch the ball, right? Using the soccer analogy. I, I, I had the chance to, to, to play a lot. And the boss at that time was also someone who really wanted to push the bar for, for Chilean uh, creativity. And he was obsessed with the craft. So it was a good place to do uh, an internship. And probably what someone would say about me at that time is that was uh, I was a bit painful, uh, intense in a way, because I was all day long asking, asking, showing, asking, screwing up, coming back. I knew that I had a summer to prove that maybe I was uh, good to stay and also to convince my dad that, hey, I don't want to Maybe I can do this and maybe skip university uh, because one of the things you realize super soon, and I think that this is across every market, this is an industry thing, is that there's a huge gap between what you study 
and real life, real deadlines, real clients, right? So it was like, hey, I think I'm going to learn more here, right? So I was a pain in the ass, <laughs> honestly. But I really appreciate when, when, when trainees and, and junior teams are, are insistent and they, they, they come and they never give up. Uh, it's something that I really appreciate. So you started your sort of internship and first um, first employment experience. I mean, you were if you if you hadn't gone to college and you were what twenty years old, twenty one, wow. twenty one, because I fall into the trap of studying something else before. Yeah, because I always wanted to be creative, and I think it's hard when your dad is a creative sure. not to be a creative because you see him shooting ads with famous football players, then going to the, my dad goes crazy in a supermarket. It's like Disney for him. He buys weird shit, different flavors. So it was so fun that I always wanted to be a creative. But then when I, when I ended school, there was a moment of doubt. My dad already was telling me, please study something better. Clients are paying less and less. This is a tough uh, this is a tough profession. 99% of the things you do go to the trash. I think you're going to be happier someone else. And I had the, the year of temptation where I just went and studied economics. And I failed miserably. <laughs> Everything. So miserably that I, I, on the second semester, I said that, you know what, stop paying. This is not what I like to do. I'm failing every uh you know every assignment so just stop paying i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna focus on on doing the exam to go into university next year but i'm going straight to advertising this is what i want to do and <laughs> and that's it so i, I was a, a failure in economics well you know the, to, the ability to walk into an ad agency and and at least have the confidence to ask questions and to be persistence, persistent and to be intense, you know, I'm guessing that was directly correlated to the comfort level you had being in that environment from growing up in it. You know, I think there's just a learning curve of like, what is an ad agency? How does it move? Where do people eat? What time are you allowed to leave? What time are you allowed to show up? I mean, most of us don't know that. Most of us need a year just to figure that out, but, but you grew up in it. And so it almost sounds like you, you were a little bit accelerated at the age of 21 to be able to walk into an agency and just kind of, kind of, you know, know where, know where the copier is and know where the, you know, know where the, the supplies are and, and kind of know where to sit and know where to start. Yes, yes, yes. I had, a, I had a, a lot of advantage in that sense because also it's a fun work. So we used to spend some time at the agency. I love to go to the agency. And then when I was a bit older, like 14, 15, there was a moment where computers started to be part of our lives. Yeah. But you started to do other types of, of works uh, at, at school. So I went to the office, yeah, to print something. I went to the office as an excuse to edit a video when you used to edit with, you know, Hey, like, so I was very familiar with the agency. I, I need to say that even when, when, for example, my experience at Darcy, that was only two months, people were super nice, but that was kind of the cliche of the agency because first of all, I didn't know anything about it. So I, I was in my first year of school, but I didn't know 
And I did a lot of coffee serving, a little, a lot of copy, uh, you know, copying, you know, prints and printing stuff. It was a bit of a cliche. And honestly, I, I didn't do much. And then was when I, of course, I studied one more year. And then I think I was lucky to get to a place where people were hungry to do good work. And they were like, like, go, 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 go. So then I said, fuck, if these guys are working so much, I'm going to work that much too, right? Yeah. You know, for those who worked at Widen, they consider themselves Widen people for life. And same for P Crispin Porter people like me. There's a part of me that will be a Crispin Porter person for life. Prior to David, did you have a, an agency experience that felt like it'll stay in your DNA for life? Was that gray or was that somewhere else that sort of taught you those fundamentals that stick with you the most? I think that I'm a Burnetter, right? Leo Burnett for me is the place. And, and I think that because my dad was there 30 years in a moment where Leo Burnett was Leo Burnett, there was, it was not publicist. It was, it was a very rich culture. Uh, they came up with the GPC, which is probably the creative council that now everyone does. Yeah. Uh, they created many, many things. Donald Gunn, who created the Gunn Report, was the, the global CCO, Michael Conrad then. So the, the whole culture, and I was, I was a huge fan of all the brands that Leo Burnett used to have, right? Kellogg's, McDonald's. So, and then, uh, I didn't want to work with my dad. So that's why I chose Gray in Chile. Uh, and then because of the young guns, I choose the Obernetis somewhere else. And then we never worked together, but I was very much in love with Leo Burnett and I stayed there for eight years. And then I went to Lola and then dated. So in, in a 20 year career, I've only been in three places, right? Uh, but I think Leo Burnett holds a, a really special place, uh, because of the culture, right? Lola was an incredible agency, but the culture uh, it's very different. There was a lot of mergers between Mullen and Lowe and, and the culture was still being created. I think that we created uh, a very strong culture as Lola, as a, as the boutique of the network, but, but the network itself was still being developed. Uh, and David is incredible. I was, I was a huge fan uh, of David uh, when they called me and, and the opportunity was like, okay, great. And when I met the founder, uh, Fernando Musa, one of the founders, uh, it was great because what he wanted to do with David was kind of the thing that I was looking for, the thing that I was trying to do with my new agency. And the reason why I, I resigned to Lola in such a good moment, right? Because you never leave the boat in a good moment, right? But I, I kind of did in the best moment possible. But because I had, you know, I had the feeling that probably there was something else that I can do in a, in a more, you know, with more freedom and, and, and in a more personal way. Right? We'll get to David. You, you mentioned Lola. Were you a founder of Lola? No, 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 no. Lola was founded like, I, I think, five years before we got there. Okay, I thought there was a, I thought there was a sort of entrepreneurial um, twist to your to your career, but I might have that wrong. Yeah, yeah, it is. After Lola, I left Lola to start my own shop called Mad because of right. Madrid and because everyone told me you're leaving Lola, you're crazy, right? So I opened Mad, and three months later, you know, Fernando Musa uh, came to me and said, "Hey, we we have this opportunity. Let's partner, right?" So I was kind of an entrepreneur for three months. 
<laughs> well, maybe it was three months in business, but I'm sure there was months more that went into planning and considering whether this move was right. And, and um, you know, and it's a leap of faith when you're in the, the big holding company system to break out of that and try something independently. Even in that short time, um, did you feel like that, that short entrepreneurial experience changed you in some way or that you were sort of different once you kind of rejoined the holding company structure? Yes, completely. And I, and I think that because I joined David, but I joined David with the challenge of opening David Madrid, opening David in Europe. That entrepreneur part lasted almost two years, right? Because, right. yeah, I was opening David, but I was worried about spending money on entries right. in our first year or buying more pens or buying computers. I think that probably the 21st computers, even after, because we were four people in the beginning, and then we were six, and then we got Burger King without David being involved because we used to work for Burger King before. So we got the account, and we started hiring people, and then we started talking with David, and everything was at the same time. But probably the first 20 computers I bought in El Corte Inglés, which is, you know, the the Sears or the JCPenney of Spain that they sell everything with my own savings because the deal with David was not sold. So I was going through my savings. So I think the experience was was great, was great. And I think that now I'm, I'm prepared to not only take the ship to where it it should go, but also, you know, have have my head more into the into the business and 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 into those decisions that sometimes we as creatives and thinking only about ourselves and and in a big structure we don't understand, right? Yeah. Before we start our own companies, we we think the computer fairy just delivers the computers. Now I've learned <laughs> over the last two years, like you know, someone someone buys these and you don't get a discount on them. They they're they're still expensive even if you need to buy twenty of them. Um, there's no discount and they don't come with Microsoft Word in it. No. You need to pay. It's like, what? Yeah. No, we use, honestly, we use pages for a long <laughs> time because I said, I'm not paying $200 for Word. And then you realize that, that you need to pay. It's no way to live. To pay working, for Photoshop. Yeah, working in pages is just no way to live. Yes, yes. But when you're an entrepreneur and you're using your savings to put the company in, Pages is the way and Google Docs and everything that is free is like, yeah. go, go. <laughs> Absolutely. So let, let's just, uh, let's, let's start from the beginning of the David I I adventure. You, you kind of laid it out a little bit that you were building this thing in Madrid that seemed to align nicely with what David wanted to create in Madrid. And so they kind of cast you as the right man for the job. You were already kind of off and running with this entrepreneurial spirit, which was required to start this new office. And, and now you have this incredible challenge of taking this incredible creative standard that David had had set and, you know, and exporting it to Madrid. So, you know, 2019, summer of 2019, you officially joined David. You talked a little bit about it, but what, where was the company at that time? What were you stepping into? Um, what was the lay of the land a little bit? Actually it was much harder than what you just said, because <laughs> Madrid was, my personal part on it was something that excited me, but also I needed to, to, to keep Miami afloat, right? Miami had gone through a lot of changes. First, uh, one year before, two of the founders uh, left. 
to open gut. And the next year, other uh, part of the team, a big part of the team, most of the directors left also to join, which is a natural thing, right? Sure. We like to work with people, so it's fine. Uh, so I needed to go to Miami, try to balance it with my life in Madrid and with opening Madrid. So I needed to, in a way, jiggle with, with those two at the same time. Uh, but I was lucky enough to have a really good team. When I, when I got to, to Miami, uh, people were, were truly believers uh, in, the, in the company, in the culture, and they, they, were, they were a big support to make that happen. They were really good. So in that sense, I pushed in a way in, in, in keeping the bar high and doing good work because only work will save us. Uh, and, and things went really well. Uh, also, I think we were blessed with the fact that Sao Paulo was doing really good. Buenos Aires was also doing good. And, and again, because of the same reason that, uh, some people left to follow the people they wanted to work with. I was lucky enough also mm -hmm. to be, you know, followed, followed by many people in Madrid mm -hmm. that call me, hey, I want to join, I want to join. Uh, in the beginning, they already ask, uh, they, they of course ask who's paying and do we have the money to pay us? But, but everyone wanted to join. So I, I was, that was kind of my first year, right? Focusing a lot of Miami, but also having you know to to launch madrid and i was i got really good help on both sides and uh, yeah and that's why i spent my 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 whole first 10 months at least until the pandemic you know do, going from monday to monday to miami right and living uh the life uh, up in the air man poncho in my opinion you did maybe the hardest thing in our business it's because it's one kind of challenge to put an unknown agency on the map. And, and of course, that's really hard, but it's a completely different and probably harder challenge to follow in the big footsteps of a famous predecessor and actually maintain or exceed that high standard that the company is known for when you arrive. You know, I mean, on the on the grandest scale, you have, you know, Tim Cook taking the torch from Steve Jobs. In our industry, I've talked a lot to my old partner, uh, Tiffany Rolfe, who took the torch from the great Nick Law at RGA. Man, I'm so interested to hear from you. Like, tell me about the challenge of taking the torch from Anselmo Ramos after he leaves to start gut, because I feel like it's hard to appreciate just how tricky and delicate those kinds of situations can be. Yes, it was, it was hard. And sometimes, you know, people, when, when, when the news went out, you know, some people said, man, are you really taking that challenge? That's a, that's a big challenge, right? Because it's not only that Anselmo uh, left, uh, it's that many people follow, right? And I'm a true believer. I'm a true believer that this is, this, uh, this is a business of aims. And I really believe that there's no chance that one rock star can make the, a whole company work, right? So when you see that, that some people are leaving and, and some are following, you, you try to think, how am I going to make this happen, right? And, and what I found was the fact that the talent was still there. The junior copywriters coming up with the ideas were still there. The people who are more hungry 
that um, about making good work, even though the ones who still haven't done hadn't done good work were hungry to prove themselves. And one of the things we did with Fernando was let's bet on them because it it would have been so easy to get just the checkbook and write a check and bring the best uh, ECD from New York and Buenos Aires, the same thing, bring a CCO from the most awarded agency in Argentina. And we did the opposite. We said, guys, this is us. You've been doing great work and we're going to make everything possible so you can keep shining. The clients are there. Burger King still there. Fernando is still there. Coke, blah, Heinz, blah, blah, blah. So let's keep doing what we were doing. I'm going to be uh, as supportive as I can. I'm going to kill myself all the ideas, which is something that I think that people who have worked with me uh, recognize and appreciate that once there's a good idea on the table, I kill to make shit happen. Uh, that's my job. And and I think that people got an extra boost of energy when they saw that, right? Also, I think that a, a second part that, that helped was the fact that at Lola, we kind of shared. There were similar kind of accounts, similar kind of work, and similar, let's say, culture. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and it was great because I was a huge fan of David and we were, in a way, competing a lot. Many times I presented an idea to Fernando. Fernando said, ah, oh, David just presented this like last week. And because Fernando is a very, he's a good friend, but he's a very fair client. He always, in that second, sent you the keynote with the presentation. So there was no doubt that the idea was done. Many times happened the other way, and I discovered that when I joined David. said, oh, motherfuckers, we had an idea with scary clowns for Halloween, but <laughs> you did it first. So, so the clients also felt the fact that, hey, there's a guy coming, but he has already proven to do good work with, with teams and in a way that we like and in a culture where everyone is invited from the most junior to the most senior in a, in a way that, that there's this intimacy with clients that not all clients like not all clients want to work no. hand by hand with you some of them just want to give you the problem and want you to come back with the solution after a month but but daily clients and the clients i used to work with unilever was another shared client they love when you just go and send them a message on the phone hey i have a great idea hey i have this opportunity hey we can tap into culture with this. We can create culture with this. We, you know, and there was so much in common that I, I think that honestly that, that helped too. So after the shakeup, you're showing up in those first few town halls. You know, I feel like you actually, you, you kind of repeated what uh, the sentiment that you were probably saying to the team that remained, which is, is a message of stability. It's a message of maintaining the standard. It's an interesting message of, hey, you know, when people leave, it creates openings and it creates opportunities. And so some of you who've been here, but maybe you haven't made the thing that made this place attractive to you in the first place. Now is the time you're going to be given, you know, you're going to be the, the, the departure of others might accelerate your career in an unexpected way for you. Again, a, a it's a precarious situation. What is some of the reflection you're doing to say, Hey, I, my job is not to be the next Anselmo. My, my job is to be the first Poncho. 
Yes, totally. I, I didn't want to repeat that. Um, because I think that people need to feel that you're not trying to copy something that was, and it was working really well, but I wanted to prove that there was another way to make it work, yeah. right? There was another way to read, uh, distribute the work, for example, and not have teams doing one thing, another. In that sense, I'm, I'm very organized, but I'm a very, in a way, chaotic. So it's a contradiction, but... What I like to do is that everyone has the chance to work on everything. Of course, sometimes you will be busy doing something or another week you will be busy because you're in a shoot in South Africa for a big whatever campaign. But but I wanted to do it differently, but saying, people, this is us. The bar stays where it is. And actually, if we can push it, we're going to push it. Uh, and it's on you. There's no excuse of anything. It's your opportunity to shine. I'm going to try to help you. And and honestly, a lot of people stepped up, stepped up. A lot of people, you know, shined. Uh, and and some of them already left, right? Some uh, Pansaro, they went to open a KQA Bloom, which is a very interesting offering from a KQA. A Stephanie, which, which uh, she was my right hand. She was the account director for Burger King. And she was... That, but she was a firefighter. She was mm, everything at the office. She was my right hand. She buy me the Apple cards when I ran out of Apple credit. In my, she was a friend. She was everything. She now opened, she went to Droga 5, and now she opened the Droga 5 office in, in Sao Paulo. So people grab the opportunity. People shine. And some are still with us, and some keep, keep growing. So yeah. keep growing. So it was kept growing. So it was good. I think it's the it's the most fascinating insight from doing this podcast over the past few years is I think my presumption going in was that there is a right way to manage, there is a right way to lead, there is a right process. And then what you realize is there's a bunch of right ways. And sometimes one person's right way is totally contradictory to the other. I was just listening, if you'll forgive me, um, I, I, if, if, if you're not the biggest uh, football NFL football fan, but I was just listening to this assistant coach, this coach, uh, Lane Kiffin. He's a college football coach and he worked for two different coaches. One is Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And the other is Nick Saban, the head coach of Alabama. And he was saying these two guys could not be any different. You know, one is rigid and strict and the other one is sort of buoyant and jovial and collegial and their methodologies are completely different and their processes are completely different. And both are Hall of Famers who've won at the highest level. And it's just so eye-opening. I see it all the time as I talk to all the great creative directors in our industry. It's just like, it's, it's, there's no one right way to do it. Um, it's just about the right ingredients and you know the right timing and the way things come together. And a word you used at the beginning of this, which we can never underestimate, which is luck. You know, Timing and chemistry and the right clients and the right people and discovering the person who's never made anything before, um, but is a talent that, you know, that, that they and you maybe couldn't anticipate when you hired them. Like, you know, luck plays a huge part too. So there's yeah, no, there's no, was, there's no question there. That was just kind of a word salad. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you did the whole thing. No, but you're, 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 you're right. And, and I think that we, sometimes we underestimate the power of, trusting someone right what 
trust and giving them the confidence can actually make, right? Because sometimes we just judge portfolios or we just judge the work that has come out of that team or, or that account. But that work has come out in certain circumstances. And sometimes you using the same ingredients, you can create something new or you can help them uh, create something new. So I think that one of the, one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that first year that was a year with one third of the year in pandemic was the fact that we didn't make any major changes. Mm. Guys, this is us. We are in this together. You've been here for a long time. Actually, you have a lot to teach us, but it's your time to shine. We trust you. You've been doing great work, uh, so let's keep doing it. You, you talked about um, that transition as it pertained to Burger King um, and and uh, uh, Machado, who I, I throw out because he's such an outlier. He's such a student of the industry. He's so understanding of how agent, agencies work that he just he uh, possesses a certain sympathy that maybe not all clients possess. So if we if we just sort of put him to the side, specifically, what are some of your memories of executing that transition as it pertained to earning the trust of clients who maybe originally came to David because they were signing up for Anselmo and Gaston? And how did you approach some of those conversations? How difficult was that part? Honestly, it wasn't that difficult. Right, because they felt that the culture and the bar were going to remain high. Uh, the the fact that David and and my previous experience at Lola had the 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 the, the same let's say focus on the work. Uh, clients were like all in, right? And sometimes when you have a new phase, people just actually you know intrigued by how is it going to be and and again i was lucky enough to have great teams that helped me prove fast that things were going to be okay and we were going to keep doing great work and and that 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 part was not going to change i think that we as a company we understand that good work is the best tool we have and it's the best tool for new business honestly people call us because of the work we do i've never heard of a client calling an agency saying oh i i saw the numbers you did last year great profit i want to work with you right no one calls for that people call for work and 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 that is something that that you know is super important for us but also for talent retention the work we do is what is work that creative say I would like to do that. So I would love to work at David because I can see that they have uh, these chances. I can see that they push clients, lawyers, and, 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 and whoever to make stuff happen. So if I have a crazy idea, I would love to work there instead of somewhere else. And also for the ones who are a bit more nerdy-ish, uh, when they see the credits, they see that we are a company, that we are for the people that everyone can come in and make an idea better, that there's no silos or, or two stars doing all the work, but then the rest doing, you know, day-to-day -day boring work. Everyone is participating. So I think that work, 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 right? I mean, that sense where everyone was happy. So that, you know, they were intrigued, you know, the company had enough goodwill that you, 
you knew that they that that the existing clients would give you a chance. You know, you present as a as a very you know bright and intelligent guy. So let's let's see what he's got. And then, what was that first piece of work, David, that made clients and employees say, "Okay, hey, we're we're really in good hands here with Poncho." The the the, the you know the this the high standard continues, and maybe you felt like, "Okay, this is very validating. This is working." You know, what was that piece of work that felt really validating for you? I think there were many 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 pieces of work happening at the same time. Of course, Stephen H. was you know, uh, was a big one because it was a bet. It's been, it, it, it was uh, already on the table, but the way we could execute it and with timings that were crazy, uh, the way we talked to lawyers, and, and it was a long, long process, but it was kind of the first of the big ones we did, uh, at least for Burger King. It, it it was a it was proof that that okay we are we are the right track we're still doing good work and and we're doing crazy stuff right and and a bit less traditional so it was great uh, but in the rest of the clients some had process in the middle so for example I, when I arrived um, we were already in the middle of presentations around and this you know let's say internal pitches where. Uh, many agencies uh, present an idea for Super Bowl, and then we won. But then I had to take charge of that, and and you know work with the team on the script, choose the director. That in that year we were again lucky enough to get Catherine Bigelow, which was the first woman with an Oscar, right, for directing, and 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 I think that the clients saw that okay, we're in good hands. The process is going well. We're these guys uh, convinced uh, Catherine Bigelow, we got Smuggler, uh, we're going to do a big film. So everything was kind of uh, cool. We had another project starting, which was that actually it was not that, but ended up being Corona Sambru uh, because we had a, a, a brief for Asia and, and one of the copywriters found out about, you know, the, the 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 vitamin D deficiency that that people had there because of weather you know working hours and so on and so forth and and that's when we started working with the Corona team on how to develop a beer with vitamin D right so again it was a good process to show clients how it was it was going and then we had a couple more Mondelez and and stuff that was already I had to go super fast like. I, I, I went, you know, when we say in Spanish, we say change the tires while driving. Yeah. Does it make sense in English? But the, Eng the English version, very similar. It's you have to build the plane while you're flying it. Well, it's kind of, it's a different means of transport, but it's yeah. kind of the yeah. same thing, right? So I needed to do that. And, and at the same time, build Madrid, right? So, so I think that everything started to, to be connected. And and clients saw that yeah teams were delivering the new people joining were delivering so and there was this this vibe of of let's do it let's make it happen man given you know your dad and your upbringing in the industry and you know you're a student of the industry you know you you know who the can winners are um, and you know the kind of life cycles of some of the great agencies of the last 20, 30 years. Is there any agency out there that you draw inspiration from as you kind of set the ambition for David in the next three to five years? 
I, 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 I think that we admire a lot of agencies and we try to take different bits and pieces from, from all of them, right? I think that Wyden, Wyden for me would be one of the biggest inspirations right now in the, in the thing that for me is the most important, which is consistency. You just said it. Sometimes agencies trend for a couple of years and then they disappear or they become the most funny agency in the last five years and then they disappear or they do one really good piece of work and then they disappear. And for me, consistency is super important. And why them? It's very inspiring because sometimes they, they kill it. Sometimes they don't kill it that much, but they are always there. And the fact that they built this trust and this relationship with Nike uh, is also inspiring to see how we can build relationship with our clients, right? Keep building, for example, Burger King, that is the first client we ever had in David Sao Paulo that then moved to Miami and so on and so forth. But how can we do that with other clients that are coming to the house, right? How can we, I don't know, keep doing good work with Netflix? This was our first year doing work with Netflix, how can we keep it going so that in 10 years time, we have, you know, uh, a real like we did, uh, like we do with Burger King, which is every year, little by little, you know, sometimes it's a Grand Prix, sometimes it's not, but every year there's a piece of work there uh, that it's great, right? And then, for example, Rethink in Canada for me is a, mm. is a really inspiring company. Uh, more than an agency, because also that for me is important, how we can add value to the clients more than with an ad. Fine, we can do the ad and we're good with ads, right? But for example, Corona Sambru proves that we can do ideas that are bigger than ads, right? And clients um, are opening more and more the kitchens of their business so we can tap into different things, right? Innovation, how do we build an app, what is our take on design, right? Uh, and and rethink, you know, they're in a way rebellious spirit, independent spirit is also inspiring, right? We have we have the freedom at David to be part of Ogilvy, but very and WPP of course, but be very independent. So in that sense, it's also great to have the best of both worlds. Yeah. You hit on it a, a, a few minutes ago that the, the best new business strategy is just to make great work. And it's amazing how all of the RFP and pitching process can go out the window if a company just likes something that you made. And all of a sudden, it's a phone call and an assignment and an assignment turns into a relationship and you go, boy, we sure got to skip a lot of those steps that we have to go through in the traditional pitching process. And as an industry, it feels like we're taking finally a more honest look at the process of pitching and is it a healthy process? Is it a logical process? Uh, where are you on the pitch process? What are some of the things that you're looking for when you decide David will accept or reject an RFP? Well, honestly, we, we don't like to pitch that much and we usually don't pitch that much because we think that, you know, it takes two to dance, right? Uh, we need to be able also to choose uh, the clients we want to work with. And because we are in a way an agency that is tailor-made 
for for our current uh, clients. Every time we go to a pitch, we're kind of pushing the the engine harder than we should. So we choose very carefully the pitches we we go in because we want to keep our teams, you know, happy, healthy, and and we want to be proud to tell our existing clients that we're not using their resources to try to win uh, an account, right? And clients really appreciate it. Even the new clients, when, 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 I, when I tell them how we work, they say, shit, you're right. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be really happy that you don't do that with our teams if we work in the future together, right? It's like, yeah, you got it. You got it. That's the, that's the logic, right? Uh, but then you need to pitch. It's an industry. So I think that we try to choose based on intimacy and affinity with, with the project. If we're really looking for the same thing. So we try to meet the clients a lot. And then if we end up pitching, well, we try to, to make it in a process where we feel that there are not so many agencies. Uh, involved because if someone is to call five agencies, eight or ten to decide, well, that that client doesn't know really what he or she wants, right? If a client is calling different agencies, is also something. It's a really a red flag for us. If you have a three thousand people agency Madison Avenue, and you have David, and you have a little PR agency somewhere else, say, hmm, that's weird. Right. You know, on a Friday night when I'm hungry, I don't, I am not ordering tacos, sushi, and <laughs> something else, right? You don't do that. So it's right. clearly a red flag that things are not going well. Um, so we, and also there's big, big agencies and networks, they try to prove that they can do it all so they can take it all. And we are the opposite. We try to prove that we just do great strategy that leads to great ideas that move businesses forward. That's it. We are not good with apps. We don't, don't, we don't want to do data. If you want to do an event, of course, we can come up with the event, but we will get someone else to do it. Of course, we can do gaming ideas, but we're not going to do gaming coding. Of course, we can do a great idea for Instagram, but we're not going to do e-commerce. So clients also feel, when you start meeting them, they feel that honesty connects. Some of them don't, and they want the whole thing, but they connect with that. And the fact that we don't want to take all the money on the table is something that they also appreciate, right? And then something happened, which is some clients need to do the pitch, but because they like you and they like the team, they said, okay, I'm going to do the pitch, but I'm going to save this little brief I have. It's a small project that we're doing for this product that is still not big in the company, but we have some hope, Baba, and I'm going to get uh, a yes from, from the company or my boss or whoever to do that directly with you. And that's how things start, right? And I love that because that's a like a proper first date, like, okay, let's do something together. Then maybe we discover we're not, we're not meant for each other. Or maybe we discover that this experience was great and we want more. Right. And it's a great way because many people want to be AOR in the first day and we want the whole account and we want media and we want social and we want, no, we just want to prove 
that we are meant to be together, right? Man, you just so perfectly put into words things that I've been feeling for the last two years, but have never sort of codified in that way. I just, I love, I love everything you just said. Um, so, so over the last two years, we'll say, you know, maybe two, three years, you know, there's been something of a reckoning on the lack of diversity in our industry. And the conversation has largely and, and rightfully been centered around the lack of representation among the black community in our, in our industry. Being, with a company that's, you know, it has so much of your operations is in South Florida and in South America. David has this large Latino workforce. I wonder, you know, what's your perspective on DEI as it relates to the Latino community? Is it, are we having the right conversation as an, as an industry? Are we missing something when we're talking about the, the Latino experience um, in the broader DEI conversation? In what sense? Sorry, just to... Well, well, I think I think the conversation ha has there there has been a spotlight on the industry in the past couple of years around the lack of diversity, and so much of that conversation has mm -hmm. been centered around um, the lack of black representation in our industry, and it feels like maybe less of the conversation has been around lack of Latino representation uh, in in upper management, um, and and okay. here you are at this agency that. You know, that's not a problem. It's, so for you. it's not a problem for you based on where you're at. And and at the end of the day, I guess I guess the observation that I'll that I've made that I'm curious to get your thoughts on is, you know, every company knows by now that diversity is important, but I feel like they don't know why. They know diversity is important, but they think the why is because it's a risk mitigation strategy so that you're not perceived to be racist. But what great comp what the what the handful of great companies that have this diverse workforce know is don't hire diversity because it's a risk management strategy, hire diversity because it's a competitive advantage because you have different types of thinkers in the room that leads to a different creative product. And so I wonder what that you know means for you as a company that is that is mostly Latino, you know, and, 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 and do you view that as your competitive advantage as you think about the types of ideas that come out of David that you don't see coming out a lot of a lot of the other companies in the world? Totally. And you just described a couple of the slides we have in our credentials presentation, because for us, it's super important. Be First, because it's about the work and the work will get richer with more different people start thinking about a problem, right? Even in Spain, with Spain, our local clients, we have a football team, the soccer team in Spain. Uh, that is, you know, mid-table mid one. It's not the biggest one. It's not the smallest one. It's always there. But it's from a, a very traditional town, Valladolid, uh, with a lot of history. And, and it's very Spanish. It's a city that only has one team. So the city in the city, you don't have competition, but it's very Spanish. And the team is full of, there's a French guy, a Colombian guy, one Spanish guy, one Chilean guy. And the accounts are French, Spanish, and Argentinian. And they love it because they get a very Spanish brand having, um, the, the diverse thinking that can lead to rich ideas, right? So the fact that at David, we, we have 30 nationalities. We have a, a lot of diversity in the different offices. 
help us do better work, right? I think that the diversity conversation always needs to be attached to the context, to the context of the country. What is what diversity means in Argentina, right? In Argentina means something completely different to the U.S., to Madrid, and even in the U.S., what you were saying, Florida. Florida, we don't have a problem of, of the Latino community, right? Most of, of, of the teams are either Latinos from Miami or Latinos imported to David, so we need to take care of something else. Probably in New York, we're going to have more trouble uh, to, to find Latinos, but analyzing the context, then we will get you know, different teams from, from different places, and we will get the diversity needed for that place, right? Madrid, for example, is super diverse because in Spain, in a way, is the country where everyone from Latin America meets, but we have Portuguese, we have Polish, we have Russian, we have Ukrainian, we have a, now we have a creative from Angola, which is great. Uh, he's, uh, half Angolan, half Portuguese, so he adds a flavor to the ideas and to the team, to the everyday, which is something unthinkable in an in an agency in Spain and and probably in Europe, right? So so I think it's important and it's, it should be important for the right reasons, which is the work and what clients can take out of working with with such a diverse bunch, right? Yeah, you know. When your dad was leading an, an agency and and in previous decades, our industry was a, was a more abusive place. Feedback was harsher, um, you know. And I think about my time at at Crispin when we were so proud to call ourselves a sweatshop. And you think about the famous uh, Shiat Day, you know, if you don't come in on Saturday, don't bother coming in on Sunday. All these things that were, um, you know, sort of badges of of pride. Uh, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago that would get an agency canceled today, basically. And and so in that context, and not just getting to know you and feeling like you're just a, you know, probably a pretty naturally friendly guy. As a manager, do, do you, is it more difficult for you to be, to, to be mindful of being too hard on people or being too soft on people? I I don't know. I think I we have a great balance on 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 the way we yeah we we give feedback and we we talk to I don't know. I it's for me it comes kind of a bit natural because I've always hated the bosses who are not able to inspire people. I think that you only get the worst of people when you treat them like shit, right? It's it's hard. You eliminate a lot of candidates when you treat them like shit because sometimes someone who is more sensitive, if you if you push them in the right way, uh, you will get a lot from them. So I don't know. We've never been hard with feedbacks. We've never been. We're super demanding, which is something I'm 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 proud of, right? I'm proud of you know saying, guys, craft is important. There's no excuse to make anything ugly the world is ugly enough so no poster no instagram posts nothing can come out of the door that is ugly but it's in a way that i think people enjoy it and people feel like they they grow uh we have a lot of brazilians in the agency talking about craft because brazilians are really good with craft right but the way we 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 focus the conversation is hey let's try to make everyone better 
not just these two stars coming from this Grand Prix winner agency in Sao Paulo that they can, no, no, no. It's, if they're coming, they're coming to share the knowledge and, and make everyone better. And, and in that sense, we try to have a, a great, a healthy work life balance. We do a lot of small, maybe stupid things, but, but we try to keep people happy while the work is, is good, right? I think that we need, to, especially now that there's a shortage of talent, that many people are going freelancing, that many people are saying, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to a startup. Having a great culture and having people enjoying working in this is actually much easier than just going and hiring again, right? And I can understand that some agencies do, some agencies are famous for burning out people, but they have the money to go and hire someone else. And because they do good work, people want to go there and burn themselves out in two years, but, but do a couple of Super Bowls or win a couple of big prizes. But I think that on the long run, and again, connected to consistency, it's much better to take care of the people and try for them not to leave than spending a lot of time and effort hiring and hiring and hiring, right? Yeah. I don't know. No, it's, 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 that's, that makes perfect sense. As a, as a global CCO, of course, you can't review every deck. And of course, you can't attend every client meeting. But you know, I'm sure you're very <laughs> strategic about which meetings you show up in and critical moments and, and you sort of go, uh, David Lubar said it so great. I was like, how do you, how do you know where to go? He just goes, I just look at my, my calendar and I go where I'm needed. And I kind of feel like that's whether people, global CCS think of it that way or not, you're, you know, the, the day and the company and the needs will guide you to where you're supposed to be. But in that context of, of client meetings, uh, how do you view your role? You know, are you, if you're there, is it, are, are you going to present some slides? Are you there in support of the teams who you want to sort of take the lead in the room? Is it kind of case by case basis? What is, how do you view your role in the room in, in client presentations? As a CCO, I think that the role uh, changes a little bit depending on the meeting, but most of the time is just to push the meeting and kind of control the speed of the meeting right you don't you're not you're not driving but in a way you're direct you're maybe that's a good analogy yeah you're not playing an instrument but you're setting the tempo right in, in some moments you need to because we've been in this for longer than the junior team so you you know where sometimes the meeting is going and you can predict that but but it's kind of more of inspiring the teams and helping them shine and then of course jump in when you need to jump in and 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 push some argument here or defend them uh, there but it's more of of uh, yeah an orchestra director than than anything else right and then of course there are some meetings where you need to play an active role because it's a higher conversation about something else or business but when it's around the work, it's around that, right? And and when choosing the agenda, you're right. It's tough to to understand when, uh, what meetings to join and what meetings uh, not to join. I usually use the work as the the guidance, 
the work being presented, how critical it is for us to make that happen, right? More than, than whether if it's going to be a big client or not, or because sometimes, you know, the work is it's not critical or there's a, there's a project that has seven rounds of presentations and maybe you're not needed in the beginning as maybe you're needed in the end where you need to choose between Juan Cabral or another great director or you need to probably help the team convince the client that the shooting needs to be here or not there, you know, or, but, but it depends on the work. Again, it's, for me, it's the most important thing we have with our people, right? So, so I go to the meetings where I know that the work is important and the clients will appreciate that, that I join so that we can make the work happen. Yeah. Sometimes just you being there, even if you don't have a super active role, will help push the work over the finish line. It will bring a, maybe a, a sense of added importance that if it's important enough for you to join, that it should be important enough for these clients to take this this hour you know, extra seriously. But then you probably experience the flip of that, which is you probably have you know, creative leaders. If you're there, they love you and they're going to rely on you. And if you're not there, there's going to be additional oxygen left in the meeting for them to fill. And so I, I find that it's that sometimes the responsibility to, you, to your creative leaders is to get out of their way because the reality of it is if I'm there, you're just going to act a little bit different and you're going to play a slightly different role, you know, whether it's intentional or not. Do you, do you find the same is true for you? Yes, but in my case, because I've been working for so long, with most of my ECDs and CCOs, we know how to play it right. I give them the space. I always, you know, point the the spotlight to them, and and we kind of play along who's doing what, and it kind of feels natural, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that many times you need to give the space and the air uh, for them to to do it, to screw up to to win and to 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 experience right because sometimes yeah uh even uh, when the meetings go wrong the spotlight always goes to you they ask you for the for the for the answers or the feedback and sometimes if you if you leave the teams alone they can experience what it is to come out of a meeting that is going wrong because something happened in slide two right so before we wrap up here i uh I'll just ask you, you know, uh, I have two real big brothers and then my, my third big brother is Rob Riley. Since since joining WPP, are you finding that Rob Riley is micromanaging the shit out of you and making your life a living hell? <laughs> no, no, I will never say that. You know, I have WPP <laughs> compliance courses that said, no, Rob is, Rob is incredible. And I think that we were asking for it. We were, for, for since I joined, there, there, there was... Uh, there were a lot of conversations around what what else do we need? What else WPP needed as a company to, in a way, help us more? And we were like dreaming of Rob because you need that creative. We're we're creative industry, right? We sell ideas, so we needed someone like him uh, on top to also make sure that everyone is doing the best they can. Everyone is using their own space and not you know, stepping on someone else's space, 
and and he's a great creative and also when he sees an opportunity he jumps in and he always gives good feedback so he's doing a double role he's up there in heaven but he comes down <laughs> to give a feedback of a line if needed uh so it's great and the other day i discovered he's a he's a huge soccer fan and he used to play soccer i never imagined rob played soccer so uh we're gonna he played college, he played college soccer if you just just yes. barely ask him about it and that's that's what you guys will talk about the rest of the dinner <laughs> that's what happened the other day it was incredible i never thought that he played soccer but we're gonna try him next meeting in in i don't know argentina that would be tough you, you work at a place named after david ogilvy do you have a favorite ogilvy ism There's one that we we don't know that if it's if it's for real, uh, David line or not. But uh, because some some claim that it's a Mark Twain line, but uh, no no park has a statue of the committee uh, is is uh, a line that I love and I, we use it a lot because when when things get complicated, I said, guys, we need someone decision we need to try to work with clients that have one or two decision makers because we need to make stuff simple and stuff happen right um, no park yeah no park has a statue of a committee a committee yeah yeah whether that's mark twain or or david ogilvy don't let the the truth get in the way of of a good <laughs> ogilvyism that's a great one no, it's a great one okay it's we end one. every episode with the same three questions poncho are you ready I'm ready. Okay. Question number one, what is the word or phrase of advertising jargon that makes your skin crawl the most? Lately, I think metaverse <laughs> is a word, no, honestly, and probably someone will hate me, uh, but, but metaverse is a word that I, I cannot stand anymore because I have the feeling that no one actually knows what it is. And everyone is trying to explain something different and everyone is trying to attach a product to it. And everyone is like trying to play cool and trying to do something in the metaverse. But because we're trying to do something in a place, we don't know what it is yet. No one knows what they're doing. And we're all forgetting about work and real people who actually don't, don't, don't know what it is. And, 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 and we're getting distracted by that word a little bit. I've asked this question at the end of every episode, almost 60 episodes. No answer has been repeated twice, and you've just kept that streak alive. So excellent work by good. you. Good, good. Question number two, what is the most memorably fucked up response you ever got from a client during a creative presentation from any chapter of your career? I have a lot, but I'm going to use one that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago because it was incredible. Actually, I tweeted and with a red flag. I used to tweet red flags from time to time. I just copy paste stuff that clients say to us. And it was crazy because we were, there was a client trying to convince us to do a pitch. We were presenting credentials. Uh, they were loving the creative. They were saying, oh, oh yeah, I would love to do something like Moldy Whopper or blah, 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 blah. blah. And in a moment, said, no, but we don't want to pitch, but you've seen the word, Baba. And she said, like, you know what? I don't want to pitch either. And we're like, oh, good. And then she says, I just want my agency right now. 
to be scared that they can lose the account. I said, what? <laughs> so you're using us? I was like, no, no, not in that way. But I said, okay, fine. You said it all. Of course, we won't pitch and probably we don't want to be used uh, to, to, to make your, your agency afraid of losing the account. You were, on, you were at the bar on the date, and as you took your second sip of a martini, your date told you that she was only there to make her, her ex-boyfriend jealous. Or actually, her, boy, her current boyfriend jealous. Her current boyfriend, because yeah. she had no intention of leaving him. It was just, she wanted to make him uh, jealous. No, crazy, crazy. That's when you turn the martini, you just drink it like a shot, and you, uh, <laughs> you, you pay for the bill and have a nice life. And leave. Yeah. And go to Netflix. final question is called the one that got away what is that one beloved idea again from any chapter of your career it could be when you were a student what's that one idea you couldn't sell it for whatever reason but it it continues to haunt your dreams i have many i failed many times to sell an idea honestly uh but one that that still haunts me because i see the product being sold every day and it's a, it's a weird one. But when I was at Leo Burnett, I did a, uh, a mock-up of an idea that I thought it was clever, but we didn't have the client. It was an industrial design idea. So it was weird, but it was super simple. It was a stink, right? That it was connected to the toilet. So all the water that fills the toilet comes from you brushing your teeth or whatever. I presented to a client, I, I did a couple of pitching, pitching of the idea, no one bought it. And a couple of years later, there was a like a big design contest in Europe and two Spanish guys did the idea, a big company here called Roca, which is like the biggest company doing toiletries and all this thing, bought the idea. And now that's a product that's helping save water around the world and, and making money for these two guys. And I was never able to do it. And I honestly, I had it like, I don't know, five years before this contest happened. And I was like, ah. It might've changed your whole Again, life. You might be the CCO of a global plumbing company if, if, if they had just said yes to that idea. You might've devoted your whole life to it. plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine, no Stephen H., no Moldy Whopper, no Scary Clown, just the king of plumbing. Could have been. But maybe I would I would not be as happy as I'm today. But that's one of the shitty, silly ideas that haunts me until today. Because I, you always have the feeling that you could have done more, right? That's the thing. I think that more than the idea, what haunts you, or at least in my case, is ah, what could I've done better, or what else could I've done to sell this idea, right? I think whatever turns your life would have taken or are going to take in the future, <laughs> people are going to love working with you and you're going to bring your incredible infectious energy and your, your, your spirit to, to everything that you do, man. And we've never met until this conversation, but I could feel it just in the hour that we got to talk. I'm grateful to know you. I'm, I'm appreciative that you made this time. And uh, this was really fun. Thanks for doing this. No, thank you. Thank you. It's been super fun. And I'm, I'm honestly glad that, that you could feel that, right? Because I, I, I think that that's it. It's energy, energy. We, we move energy around. So the more energy we can share, we can, we can you know, get from other people, the, the better, right? Good luck on a strong finish to the year. I'm sure you're trying to, like everybody else, trying to do three months of work in the next three weeks. 
and, uh, and, and, and happy holidays, yeah. and we'll be in touch, Pancho. Great to meet you, bro. Thank you. Great to meet you. All right. Thank you to the great Pancho Cassis. I really enjoyed getting to know that guy. Thank you to my new production partners at Beacon Street Studios. And folks, as always, if you're liking the pod, subscribe, rate, review. Get excited for what we got going on in 2023, even though I haven't told you what we're doing yet. But just trust me, it's going to be good. You're going to be into it. So keep that subscription going. And we'll be back to you in 2023. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Peace.